What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and I've never been stung by a bee. I guess that's why my blood type is AB negative. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, today on the show, invasion of the murder hornets and more invasive species. That's right. I've looked into this whole murder hornet business to see if it's a big deal. You know, all the murders these hornets do. And I'll also be talking about two of the world's other most notorious invasive species, a big toad with a bad attitude and an adorable little fuzzy noodle who just loves to kill things. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, how many decapitations a minute can the murder hornet do? More than is necessary, probably. So, murder hornets, are they bad? Well, first of all, let's call them by their real name, Vespa mandarinia. They're giant hornets, and when they're in their natural range, I wouldn't say they're bad any more than any other insect or animal. They've simply carved out their evolutionary niche by being the biggest, baddest, most murdery hornet out there. But when a non-native species invades a new region, either by accidentally hitching a ride on some cargo, or because humans are a bunch of power-crazed primates who like to pluck an animal from one side of the globe and drop it down on the other, this can spell trouble for the local ecology. So should you be afraid of murder hornets? Well, let's go on a learning journey to turn that fear into education. Joining me today is my friend, host of the Cracked Podcast, and also host of the new podcast miniseries, One Way to Make an Emoji, Alex Schmidt. Katie, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, welcome yeah. back to the pod, Alex. And you, you just described you just described two podcasts that you're excellent on, uh, so people should go hear those. <laughs> Yeah, I got to be a guest on, well, I've been a guest on the Crack Podcast, and I got to be a guest on One Way to Make an Emoji, which was excellent. We talked about bison. 
Yeah. Uh, if, uh, if people want to check it out, it's it's a very special miniseries to me. There's a lot of personal stuff to it and a lot of stuff I've never uh, really done before in, as a, a podcast or anything. Uh, but it's about uh, creating the bison emoji. Uh, any any citizen, any person can propose. I don't know why I said citizen. You don't have to be from anywhere. Uh, anyone <laughs> can propose an emoji. Citizen of the planet Earth. Exactly. Uh, anybody can propose a new emoji, and I proposed a bison emoji, and they said yes. So sometime this fall, your your device, everybody's device, will have a bison and the emoji keyboard. I think that's wonderful. I, I love the podcast. It, it's emotional and sweet and full Aww. of bison. What more could you want from a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Spice and soup for the soul. Well, you, you made it really special, so thanks again for, for doing it. Oh, of course. Well, today we're going to do something a little less heartwarming, or I don't know, we'll find the heartwarming somewhere because we're talking about murder hornets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've probably heard of murder hornets, Alex. I'm pretty I'm pretty excited because I, I like, you know, found out a few seconds ago that that's the topic and I have like seen the phrase in trending topics on Twitter and don't really know anything else. So this is great. I, I'm going to like find out what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people are a little scared right now because it's it sounds very apocalyptic. We've been hearing things about murder hornets have invaded the U.S. And the question is, should we panic? And the answer is, uh, maybe a little. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so I, I want to get down to the facts about murder hornets. What are they? Why are they called murder hornets? Are they deadly to humans? Are they deadly to native honeybee populations? Uh, how do we fend them off? And what are they? What's their story? How did they become so murdery? Yeah, when you say we should panic a little, I'm glad I have so little else that I'm panicking about right now. You know, like everything else is super chill. So <laughs> right. I have the bandwidth to, everything else to freak is great. out. <laughs> I mean, we've got our plates are clear. It's, yeah. you know, blue skies. And then it's like we can handle this one bad thing in the world happening. Murder hornets. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Tomorrow in the news, I'm just going to wake up and it's like fire rain, rain made out of deadly fire. But yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so what is a murder hornet? Uh, first, let's, let's, so, so this is the Vespa mandarinia, which are Asian giant hornets. They are native to East, South, and Southeast Asia, as well as parts of Russia. And they are the largest hornet in the world. Yay! I don't, wait, Vespa mandarinia sounds like an Italian motorcycle. Are you sure this is the right uh, hey, source? Hey, get on right? your Vespa mandarinia! <laughs> <laughs> That's that's my bad Italian accent. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Um, but yeah, it does it does sound. It kind of looks like one too. They're very sleek, almost a motorcycle personified or bugsonified into a horrible insect. <laughs> so, what are hornets? So, hornets are a type of large eusocial wasp meaning that they work together for a hive and a queen. Because there are a lot of wasps that are actually solitary, they just kind of do their own thing, murder on their own time, but these are team murderers, so that's neat. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, yeah, they're, they're working together at least. They're not having some kind of civil war or something. That's good. I'm into it. It's a lot of team building murders happening with, with these hornets. And did you, did you say they're eusocial? Is that right? Eusocial. Yeah, that's right. I've, Just like I've heard of, honeybees are eusocial. 
Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say I've heard about that with ants uh, and humans. But, yes. Yeah. Ants, humans, arguably a little bit, maybe. Uh, <laughs> ants, termites, honeybees, uh, other other bee species. And, yeah, it basically means you work for a colony and for a queen, and it's this social structure where you are basically the work it's a it's a hierarchy where workers are all working towards the common goal of the hive and the queen which is okay. you know that that's cool because <laughs> i i am not an entomologist or an expert or anything but i read a book once mm-hmm. by e.o wilson uh, and and the oh, super short gist of it is basically that ants and humans have spread across the earth because those two species are very eusocial compared to other ones. Like they work together and they, yeah. they will see a greater purpose to their group, whether it's instinctual or conscious or not. Yeah, I mean, that is true. I think that humans like ants are, and, and some bees, it's like our success lies in our society and our ability to make a lot of hexagons. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so these... Hornets, the murder hornets, they apply those same ideas of teamwork, but towards murder, which is neat. So (laughs) they're about two inches long, about four centimeters. They have a wingspan of three inches, about seven and a half centimeters. And they have a fourth inch long stinger that can inject a large amount of venom. So they're they're you know they're they're big girls. These are these are some some yeah. large ladies coming around to sting you with a lot of venom. Each each one of them is two inches long. Uh, yeah, just Ugh. about. That's bigger than I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little bigger than than you'd imagine, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's good. It's cool. It's good. It's cool. <laughs> so they have been recently spotted in North America, which is you know cool. Hey, that's where I am. And. Yeah, yeah, I'm in North America too. <laughs> the first sighting was in Washington State last December, so a fun Christmas surprise. <laughs> they are a big threat to the honeybee population that lives in North America, the Apis mellifera, and also, you know, a threat to basically a lot of different insects, a lot of different, like the wild bees and bumblebees and you know probably us too a little bit not not i think the biggest concern right now is the bee population actually so let's talk a little bit about the honeybee in north america the apis mellifera so it's actually not native to north america it was introduced by european colonizers and it is not commonly called an invasive species because we don't consider it to be harmful but they kind of can be like they can harm wild native bee species when they have to compete for food but on the other hand they have become incredibly important pollinators and honey producers for our society so they are responsible for a lot of pollination that happens in our agriculture so yeah it's kind of it's one of the cases where this is actually an introduced species but we're okay with it Although maybe some of our wild bees aren't as cool with it. <laughs> I mean, if anybody's going to come to me and say, hey, that honeybee on the Honey Nut Cheerios box is some form of invader, I'm going to push back on that. I'm way into that bee. He's very friendly. He provides a delicious cereal. You like that? What's his name? Is his name 
What's his name? Oh, he probably has a name. I don't know. Is it Buzz or something? Oh, it's probably Buzz. It's probably Buzz. Yeah. It's probably Buzz. I'm going to say it's Buzz. I'm not even going to bother Googling it because I'm certain it's got to be that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember I got a, I got a Buzz doll in a Honey Nut Cheerio box oh. once. And it was, I thought it was going to look a lot more like the thing on the box. I, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> it was like clearly made for B-movie or something, but they just made an error. And <laughs> oh, Joel, Joel just uh, wrote to us. Joel's the producer on the show. She just told us Busby is the name of the B. Thank you. What, like Busby, like Busby, like Busby, Busby. Berkeley or something? Like B-U-S-B-Y? Yeah. But, but no, no. B-U-Z-Z. B-E-E. Oh, last name B. I see. Buzz, Buzz B. Yeah. <laughs> Buzz B. <laughs> cool, of course. cool trivia fact about, about the bee on the Honey Nut Cheerio box. Yeah. Thanks for joining me on this animals podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to talking about murder hornets. Yay. So murder hornets are called murder hornets on account of all the murders they do. So the worker hornets are all female. So... Alex, I want you to imagine a gang of bloodthirsty women on motorcycles raising the countryside, going around with huge machetes and decapitating entire cities. Because that's basically what murder hornets do. I feel like, I feel like you would see like a double feature of that at a drive-in in like 1950. Like it, it's both movies are about the gang of ladies. God, yeah. yes, I'd love to see that. They all, for some reason, they're all wearing impeccable makeup too. And yeah perfect hairdos but they're just going around on their motorcycle gangs and like and it's like and this is what cannabis does to women <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so the murder hornet has gigantic mandibles that can easily decapitate a honeybee they can kill 40 honeybees a minute which is bad wow for honeybees so are they because yeah. i i I'm not a super expert on bees and hornets and stuff, but I feel like people associate hornets with honey just because bees do that. But it seems like these hornets mm. just murder and that's how they get food. Yeah. Like they're just eating all these bees all the yes. time. Yes, exactly. Uh, okay. So they are carnivorous and they feed these. Well, essentially they will take over these hives and then plunder it for meat and then feed that to their young. Whereas honeybees will eat nectar and then you know, the whole process of making honey and royal jelly, and that's how they feed their colony. Yeah. So So these yeah. hornets are like a tiny wolf or hyena or other pack animal, basically, yeah. in terms of the murder. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a very good way to think of it. Exactly. So they work in groups to raid and destroy entire honeybee hives. So what will happen is one of the hornets will place a pheromone marker on a honeybee hive, which will invite her sisters to participate in a good old-fashioned pillaging. <laughs> so they efficiently kill all the worker bees and queen, ripping their heads off, and then they use the hive as a buffet, eating the honeybee larvae and pupae right out of their little honeycomb cribs. So, you know, just killing all the babies and eating them. Even the pupae? Come on. Even the pupae, they don't even spare the pupae, <laughs> monsters. So in Japan, where the murder hornet is actually, this is its native range, the Japanese honeybees, uh, I, didn't, I didn't realize that was going to rhyme until I said it. 
The Japanese honeybee, which lives in the murder hornet's native range, has developed a unique strategy to defend themselves from these invaders. So when a honeybee in Japan senses the hornet pheromones, it goes first, uh-oh, and then it forms a bee ball. So it sends its own messaging to the rest of the hive to create a giant ball of angry, vibrating bees. And they beat their wings and dogpile on the invading hornet. So what they're doing is they're vibrating their wings and flight muscles and generating body heat in this giant dogpile. And combined, a bee ball can create a core temperature of over 115 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 46 degrees Celsius, and also creates a chamber of increased carbon dioxide. So this will actually cook and suffocate the hornet that is trapped inside this giant bee mosh pit. <laughs> I love how, like, each time I learn about an organized society of animals, it's because they're doing something like that, you know? like <laughs> Doing a mosh pit, essentially. I mean, have you ever found a society that doesn't include involve mosh pits i don't think so oh yeah to it's the what unites us to all. the dawn of time the neanderthal moshes on cave walls oh yes i've seen it <laughs> sure <laughs> so you might think that this would be a self-sacrificial thing that the bees do but they are actually much more adept at surviving this giant mosh pit because they can withstand higher temperatures and higher levels of co2 Although, you know, some of them may die in the line of mosh pit duty, but, you know, they're, th that's, it's, it's an honor. It's an honor to die in the bee mosh pit, I think. <laughs> and this, this thing with Japan's bees knowing how to mosh the hornets, like, is, is this like a centuries yeah. and centuries old war between bees and hornets in their country? And then just the hornets yes. came here and our bees are like, we, we don't know any moshing. What do we do? Yes, sadly, Alex, you are exactly right about that. Ah, so man. this is when you have a predator and a prey species, you often have these arms races where the predator evolves a strategy to take advantage of the prey and then the prey will evolve a strategy to defend itself. And so you see this like increasing complexity of attacks and defenses. Unfortunately, when you have an invasive species, the native species have not developed any of these strategies. They are caught completely off guard. So the honeybees who live in North America have not developed this defense strategy, so they are vulnerable to the murder hornets, which is why a lot of conservationists are very, very concerned. And if the murder hornets are allowed to spread, they might decimate the already struggling bee populations here in North America, which is not great. I like I like bees. I like our honeybees. Yeah, because I like all plants, and as I understand it, they're important for that. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm pro plant. They are. I think. Right, and and even if you're like, oh well, the honeybee itself is not is you know not native. It, it, it it's an introduced species, and somehow you don't care about that i mean they're also these murder hornets are also going to be really bad for the wild bee populations and for bumblebees and basically you know it's whenever you i've described the ecosystem like a jenga tower before it's like whenever you fuss around with one piece you're not going to know like at what point like everything's going to crumble down so 
yeah, it's bad. It's not great to have have this this murder hornet. Surprisingly, I know it doesn't sound like a big deal to have a murder hornet invade the U.S. But, <laughs> or not the U.S. A murder hornet invade North America, but it is shockingly bad. <laughs> yeah, because when I I saw that name murder hornet coming up on Twitter, for one thing, I thought just like everybody had seen the same nature documentary and was just laughing about it. Because you know, everybody, especially in quarantine, will like. I'll see Tiger King at the same time, and suddenly right. there's memes I don't know about. But oh god, I wish there was a, a Netflix special called like Murder Hornet, and it's just about beekeepers and all of their drama. Like, yeah. like I want to see an, an apiary that's actually a cult. Please, <laughs> Netflix deliver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, and it turns out with this one, like, no, it's just a news event going on, and. I feel like everyone like yeah. found the name Murder Hornet so funny they didn't talk about, hey, there's like a new invader. That's a two-inch long uh, yeah. sky wolf, you know? <laughs> sky wolf. Yeah, sky wolf is cool. I like that. Yeah. It's just a, just a pilot about an airplane I'm working on. Don't worry about it. Uh, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, I told you, you can't pitch your pilots on this episode. <laughs> Okay, so it's like Airwolf, but I changed the name. Forget it. Forget it. Don't worry about it. Gosh darn it. Gosh darn it. So, yeah, I mean, there's actually a little bit of debate about naming the murder hornet. Some biologists are saying like, oh, but you don't, you know, this stigmatizes animals. You don't want it to be like, you know, too dramatized. But other biologists are like, no, this is a big deal. Like we, it's good that people are scared of this, this terrible hornet. So it's interesting to see that back and forth of like, now, now everybody calm down. And like some biologists are going like, no, they have to panic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Cause isn't that, isn't that a story with, uh, especially the movie Jaws, but kind of the book too, where suddenly people yeah. hated sharks, even though sharks have like a positive role in the overall ecosystem. Like, I, I guess they're worried about that with hornets, huh? Right, exactly, because, you know, hornets are not, I don't want everyone to hate hornets or even hate murder hornets when they're, you know, not invading North America. That sounds weird, but (laughs) let me be clear. I don't hate the murder hornets. I'm concerned because they have been introduced to a region that they are not uh, native to, which is really bad for the populations of other insects in that region. So that, you know, it's... They have their place. Yeah, exactly. And, like, if it takes a sensationalist name to get people interested, like, maybe that's good. Maybe it's, like, a I don't know, maybe it's a bad strategy in the long run. Like, we need to be able to be interested in stuff without having a super metal name applied to to the uh, insect. But I I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I, I kind of... I'm okay with the name Murder Hornets personally because I think it does make people interested in what what is happening, and so yeah. that yeah, which is good. Yeah, I never would have heard about it otherwise. Uh, right, when, and they do murder. It's accurate. I mean, they murder a lot of bees. Yeah, I guess I, I wonder if we're going there, but have they ever murdered a person in the United States? Not not in North America, as far as I know. They have killed people in their native range, unfortunately. So. They they are actually pretty nasty to humans. I want to preface this with the main problem of them being in the U.S. is not that they're going to kill us all, but it is they are actually somewhat dangerous to people. So 
with these murder hornets, about 50 stings can kill you due to kidney damage, even if you're not allergic. Fatal encounters are more likely to happen if you stumble upon or disturb a hornet hive. So if one kind of flies on you and stings you once, it's unlikely, unless you have an allergy, that it's going to really harm you. It'll, it'll give you like a, it could give you a nasty welt, but... In Japan, about 50 people die a year from murder hornet stings, which I don't want to trivialize wow. that. That's it's horrible, but it's you know, it's not like you said 50, five, zero. 50, yeah, yeah. Wow. five, zero people die a year in Japan from murder hornet stings. Yeah, I mean, like that's about the it's a little bit more than people die a year of just wasp and bee stings in the US per year. So but that again, it's like a it's I think there's about I think about 30 to 40 people die per year in the US from wasp and bee stings. So oh. it, it's about on the same scale. But again, it's just one species doing all of that damage. So they are they are more dangerous than bees and, and other wasps. So it's like, I would say it's something where it's concerning and it'll it's really sad that it hurts people i don't want to trivialize that but it's also not like it's not like oh we're all going this is going to kill us all <laughs> like it's not it's this is not the the um the final nail in humanity's coffin wow that sounded grim but <laughs> no because um, when because when there's scary things going on you want to as a person know which things right. are less scary uh, like these these seem yeah. like a problem but not uh, not something to to panic about right yeah. a problem and i i i understand people's concern about it and i think it is worrisome but i think like the main worrisome thing about it is the impact to the ecology in North America, which is a, it's a big deal. And of course, I mean, I don't think it's silly to be concerned about something that can hurt a person. I think that's always concerning. Like it's concerning, but it's not like these bees aren't going to like raid a human town and decapitate everyone. That's just what they're going to do to the <laughs> honeybees. Yeah. Just because you saw ladies do that in the 1950s Motorcycle Woman movie franchise does not mean that these <laughs> right. Japanese hornets will do that. It's very different. Right. <laughs> so you might be wondering, like, how should we get rid of these murder hornets? Like, maybe we should introduce a species that murders the murder hornets. But we are in the next <laughs> section going to talk about why this logic is not great because... When we return after a break, we're actually going to talk about the cane toad story. Ooh, I, the, the, this is not a bug at all. Very exciting. I mentioned earlier that honeybee populations are already struggling. Over the past decade or so, beekeepers have reported higher and higher loss of honeybees, either due to colony collapse disorder, where worker bees abandon a colony, or due to winter deaths. Currently, colony collapse disorder is not as much of an issue, but increased bee deaths continue. This is estimated to be due to the combined factors of agricultural growth, reducing the amount of diversity of flowering plants for bees to eat, pesticides killing the bees, and parasites such as Varroa destructor, a tiny mite that wedges itself into a bee's exoskeleton, spits out digestive juices into the bee, and drinks up the bee smoothie. Yum. So, as you can see, there are a lot of things that bees are struggling with, not to mention the possible introduction of a giant murder hornet. But as humans, we're not helpless when it comes to helping the bees. 
we could reduce agricultural growth such that there are more areas of diverse wildflowers and vegetation to feed the bees. We could reduce pesticide usage and use less dangerous pesticides, which will allow bees to be healthier and more able to fight off things like parasites and disease. As for the murder hornets, beekeepers can set traps for the hornets to hopefully slow their spread. So we can't just give up every time a new murder hornet comes to town. We gotta fight! Fight for the bees! Be a hero! Like Buzz Aldrin! I I'm sorry, okay, no more bee puns. I'll behave. Sorry, okay, just that one. No more, no more starting now. We'll be right back. I'm sorry, I had to, I'm sorry. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. 
Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're minding your own business, eating bugs or whatever you like to do on a Wednesday. I don't judge. Off in the distance, you hear a strange sound. heard such a sound before. Off in the horizon, you see a large group of strange, huge, bumpy-skinned aliens approach. They crawl towards you on stubby legs. They ooze poison out of their shoulder blades, and they are opening their huge, hungry mouths and shooting out their long, disgusting tongues to eat you. So, Alex, have you heard of the cane toad in Australia story? I think it rings a bell, and the only thing I thought of beyond when you said cane toad, that rang a bell, and I thought of Australia, maybe, and that's that's about all I know. Yeah. 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 Well, this will be a refresher course for you, and I think this is one of my well, it's, I don't want to say favorite stories of invasive species because it sounds like I'm happy about it. But it is a really interesting story about an invasive species. So little background on the cane toad first. So it is a big old terrestrial toad that oozes toxins from a gland on its shoulders. So it is from South and Central America. These are beefy toads that can grow around five to six inches long, which is about 10 to 15 centimeters, but they've been known to be able to reach a length of nine inches, 24 centimeters, which is, I don't know, too big, maybe? I don't want to, I don't want to judge, but... I, when you gave those inches, honestly, I thought of it in hornets. I was like, oh, three to four and a half hornets. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> That's how I think unit of measurement. Yeah. The murder hornet, <laughs> MHs. Yeah. <laughs> so like I mentioned earlier, it excretes toxins from the glands near its shoulders. So its skin is highly toxic and will kill animals that try to eat it, which, you know, I mean, that's that's a good idea, I guess, if you're a cane toad and you don't want to be eaten to just make yourself deadly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when I learned about poison dart frogs as a kid, I was like, oh, any colorful amphibian is probably full of murder. That's probably what's going on. And right. It seems like this is kind of one of those. Yeah, it's not even colorful. It do, it's like it barely even warns you. It's just kind of a sandy color, brownish, yellowish, olive, sandy color. It seems pretty innocuous, but nope, it is full of oozing poison. It's <laughs> <laughs> more of more of a low-key hitman kind of guy. I get it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's less of a less of a mad what it's less of a Mad Max and more of a um Liam Neeson. Are those two murder people in the media? I'm trying to think of different styles yeah. of murder people in movies, and I feel like Mad Max versus Liam Neeson makes sense to me in this moment. Yeah, that works. Or like, uh, where, isn't John Wick where, generally dressed pretty conservatively? You know, like maybe it's a John Wick. Yeah, I guess I think of John Wick as being flamboyant just because the movies are kind of <laughs> in <laughs> oh, your face. Sure. But yeah. Yeah, like I'm thinking of like a really drab murderer. <laughs> like, I'm here to kill you. Don't mind me, I'm here to kill you. <laughs> so they have a lifespan of about 10 to 15 years. But one individual was recorded as having lived to 35 years, which is older than Jesus. 
<laughs> not to brag. Not to brag. <laughs> Listen, we measure lengths in hornets, and we measure ages in Jesuses, and that's how we do it, okay? <laughs> like, like, hop off if it's not for you. Yeah, this is like 1.005 Jesuses. Yeah, about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, please don't check my math on that because I I can assure you it's wrong. <laughs> so they have warty olive brownish skin and they are great at reproducing, which is fun to know. So females lay thousands of eggs at once, which come out in jelly-like strings, kind of like, remember Nerd's Ropes? Nerd's, <laughs> nerds Ropes, where it's like those like... Uh, yeah ropes of candy covered in nerds in this case unfortunately i do remember yes uh. <laughs> yeah but imagine that except toad eggs very vivid yes <laughs> so it is an absolutely unstoppable monster that can replicate itself almost infinitely so of course australia decided they had to have it <laughs> Australia, don't you have enough crazy animals, you scamps over there? So in 1935, Australian farmers were having a problem with cane beetles, which were destroying their sugarcane crops in Queensland. And they saw that Puerto Rico introduced the cane toad to their sugarcane crops and had some success in fighting back the sugarcane beetles there. And the cane toad was known to have a voracious appetite and eat basically anything, alive or dead. So what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if anyone knows this, but like the toad is called the cane toad because it likes hanging out in sugarcane and, and generally being around that crop or something. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. Because the other thing I think yeah. of is the frog and toad books where they're both dressed pretty fancy and maybe they would have a cane like a gentleman, <laughs> you know? That's the only other reason I could think of. Or that... Or that Looney Tunes, the Looney oh. Tunes toad <laughs> Michigan that, like, J-Frog. puts on the little top hat. Yeah. Oh, it's a frog. Yeah, yeah. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Gonna poison all your native species. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, let's just introduce this uh, unstoppable, like, insatiable, poisonous toad. What could go wrong? Well, a lot. So... The toad was introduced, and first of all, it didn't actually help at all with the cane beetle problem. So the cane beetles in Australia, as opposed to elsewhere, like to live at the top of the cane plant. So the toad, which is not a good climber or a good jumper, could not reach its prey. <laughs> so it can't actually eat the beetles it was supposed to eat. And the cane fields in Australia did not provide enough cover for the toads to hunt undetected. But the toads are like, yeah, but I'm voracious. I'll eat basically anything. So, yeah, I'm going to go do that somewhere else. <laughs> and they turned their attention to the rest of northern Australia. So <laughs> when they were introduced, there were about... I've seen different numbers. I've also read that they were like contained within two suitcases or something. I think there was like under a thousand possibly and now there are over 200 million cane toads in australia 200 million 200 million over 200 million how do they how does that island fit people now i don't i, don't, I want to know like <laughs> <laughs> it's more toads than island now yeah i mean like there are a lot of them and they will sometimes just like be out on these roads and a bunch of them get flattened by traffic. Yeah. There, there are these like huge groups of them. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, 
kind of horrifying. I'm imagining that, like, if I watched a making of about Crocodile Dundee, just out of frame, they're stepping on toads everywhere they go, every scene. You know, like that's that's obviously what's happening. <laughs> the gaffer is a toad, toad ga- dangling off the microphone. Yeah, it's full. It's full of toads apparently in northern Australia. So they are slowly taking over Australia, killing native animal and plant species as they go, threatening their native populations of biodiversity. So they are advancing towards the west at 25 to 37 miles per year, which is 40 to 60 kilometers per year, which may not seem very fast, but it means that in like 60 to 70 years, they could go from one coast and expand all the way to the other coast. And they've already started. So in less that time, they could reach the western coast of Australia. So they are voracious omnivores. Basically, they'll eat anything they can work their mouth around. Uh, According to the Australian Museum website, they will eat beetles, honeybees, ants, winged termites, crickets, marine snails, smaller toads and native frogs, small snakes, small mammals, carrion, and pet food that's been left outside. Hey, leave some of that for me, toads. (laughs) <laughs> I want to eat those so things too. So the pet food or the carrion? <laughs> <laughs> oh, all of it. I'm, I'm, you know. <laughs> oh, Alex. So they have no predators or diseases specialized to take them out in Australia, given that they are an introduced species. And they are highly poisonous. And Australian predators have had little success with them. In fact, they are very dangerous to domesticated dogs, which is probably not news to people who live in northern Australia who have dogs. Like, that is a big concern often, because if a dog eats cane toad, that's a trip to the vet, for sure. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so not only do they kill off prey species, but they actually kill off other predators, either by poisoning them or out-competing with them or destroying their nests. So here's an example. There's the northern quoll which is a cute little marsupial who looks a bit like a giant mouse with brown fur and white spots. Oh, hey. Hey, buddy. I I wish I didn't see you in the context of this story. You look so cute. Uh, (laughs) That's a quality quoll. Quality quolls. Yeah, so they are very, very cute. It is a carnivore who eats small mammals, reptiles, insects, and birds. And they, their populations have been completely decimated in cane toad controlled regions because when it tries to eat the cane toad, it is poisoned and killed and it doesn't, it hasn't evolved with the cane toad. So it doesn't really, you know, it has no idea. It's like, I'll put this toad in my mouth. Whoops. Uh Oh, problem. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think. The main upshot of this is to not be a small mammal, reptile, insect, or bird in Australia. There are way too many species That's coming after you. That's a good point. Uh, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Generally, most of the times I talk about animals on this podcast, it's going to be bad news for small mammals, reptiles, insects, and birds in Australia. It's always bad news for those guys. Yeah. I'm sorry. If you're if you're a mouse, build a Disney's The Rescuers plane and get out of there. Just, just don't be there anymore. <laughs> But yeah, it is it is actually very, very concerning because it is threatening the northern quoll populations. And that's, you know, and, and it's these these poor quolls, you know, they're just trying to do their jobs as a small predator, but they either get outcompeted or poisoned by this insane toad. 
Yeah. So it sounds like this has been building for a while, right? Because the, the toads showed up in the 1930s and now into the modern day, they are bothering uh, species. Yeah, yeah, it's still a big problem. We have not solved the cane toad problem. Wow. Although there have been attempts. In 2004, there was the Great Cane Toad Trap Competition uh, <laughs> that was run by Australia's Northern Territory local government. So, yeah, just trying to, like award money to people who could come up with the best cane toad trap because it's a big problem. <laughs> Researchers are also trying to control the cane toad population because, yeah, they're not, they're not just threatening the quoll, although I, I think the quoll is cute enough for that to be the main reason to be concerned. But, yeah, there are, they are also threatening crocodiles, freshwater turtles, tortoises, lizards, birds, and anyone who wants to walk barefoot in a field at night <laughs> because you'll yeah. just probably step on one of these toads. And that's an icky experience. I mean, because these... These toads sound like just a bag of poison walking around, right? Like, that's basically yeah. the situation. Yeah. yeah, they're big, hungry bags of poison, Ugh. pretty much. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there may be some hope, and it comes in the form of the Australian water rat. Da-da-da-da! Ooh. Yeah, it looks like... <laughs> it looks to me like a woodchuck, but with, like, some kind of duck boots on like if you could get duck feet yeah. as a boot from a store and then put that on uh, yeah. so you can fight toads that's what this looks like yeah exactly that's exactly what it is and i and i subtitled this this picture uh, pictured <laughs> hero <laughs> because these are these are little heroes so the australian water rat is a also known as the Rakali, is a large aquatic rodent who looks a bit like a mix between an otter and a rat with duck feet. And they have learned how to slice open cane toads with surgical precision and eat their hearts out and other internal organs, avoiding the poison skin and glands, which is a little serial killery, but I guess like when it comes to the cane toad, that what you have to do yeah if the cane toads didn't want that to happen they should have been made of less poison i think i, I, I think it's their <laughs> fault ultimately i feel like this is very silence of the lambs where you you come like you're like uh oh we got to take down this cane toad and it's like well hello clarice <laughs> i know how to vivisect a toad <laughs> if you'll just please let me out of my confinement <laughs> and then because its captors are australians they're just like all right and just like immediately no worry no nothing just <laughs> doors what, already what open could go wrong <laughs> Yeah, so but these are these are actually native species, so it's it's good that they're murdering the toads is what I'm saying. <laughs> and so these smart little murderous water rats will even remove the gallbladder which contains toxins and they just eat the good stuff inside the toad that isn't covered in poison. So Dr. Marissa Parrot, a reproductive biologist and conservationist, said this of the water rats habits, quote the rats appeared to hold the toad on its back and then incise the thoracic cavity to consume organs while the toad was still alive. Oh, yeah. And that... Heroes! Does that... If I'm looking at the, the thumbnail of that article, right, it has, like, a picture of the toad after that happened. Wow. Yeah. I, I put that in there just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> for you to look at. 
this is a, just a fun little image of a toad that's been dissected, probably while still alive, so its organs could be eaten by a giant water rodent. <laughs> I mean, this this arms race has to stop at some point, right? Like like the rodent gets hunted by an eagle with a gun or something. Like where where does it go? Where does it end? <laughs> A bunch of murder hornets riding Vespas, holding machetes. Yeah, there we go. It all, it all comes back know. around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and just, just um, I know I've been really mean to these toads. So just a fun fact. I, I want to just toss out like a fun fact about toads in general, just because like it's true that they're an invasive species and that, that's not great in Australia, but I don't want people to hate toads. I think they're cool. And I here's a here's a fun fact about toads in general. Males have something that is called a bitter's organ, which regulates sex hormones. And if the male toad's testes are injured or removed, the bitter's organ will develop ovaries. So that's pretty cool, right? So so male toads, if their genitals are injured, can generate female sex organs. Yes. Yes. Guess how we know that, Alex? Uh... We asked them. Oh, if only. No. (laughs) I was really open. (laughs) We, researchers cut off their testes to see what would happen. (laughs) I'm, I'm very much for research and science. Sometimes, once in a while, I'm like, how did, why did, okay, but why did you think, how did you think of this idea, though? Like, were you just like sitting there and being like, I want to see what happens if we cut off some toad testicles. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm just a little concerned. <laughs> yeah, I, I assume when the scientists had their press conference, at least one of them was in the middle of drinking a Foster's as they shared this information. Like, this is crazy. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Other than to be wild. <laughs> listen, we're going to cut off. Now, listen, yeah. we're going to cut off its balls. And see what happens. That's not that's not an Australian accent at all. No, that didn't do it. That wasn't good. Just, just a scientist drinking a Foster's and smoking, like science, science, science. Like I, why? Science, science. You don't seem professional. Just try to lop its balls off. <laughs> I don't know if these were Australian researchers either. So. Oh yeah. But I imagine they must be. They must be. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, my Australian listeners. But you gotta admit, they have to be, right? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, it could be them, but it's them. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Australia. I truly do. Yeah, you guys are great. Cane toads aren't the only type of frog wreaking havoc on the world. And by the way, toads are a subset of frogs. Sorry, Kermit, your cousins are monsters. The North American bullfrog is fine and dandy when it's hopping and swimming around east of the Rocky Mountains in North America, but it's decided to invade the rest of the world as well. It's been found further south in America, decimating the Chiricahua leopard frog and Mexican garter snake populations in Arizona. They've invaded Western North America, South America, Europe, and Asia. And let's not be too hard on these little guys. Humans imported the frogs to California and other parts of the world for frog leg culinary purposes. And oops, now they've escaped and are unstoppable. And wait, did I say little guys? They can actually grow to be around 8 inches long, the size of a dessert plate, and weigh up to 1.5 pounds. Normally, in their natural habitat, alligators, snap 
snapping turtles and other predators prevent their populations from exploding, but when introduced to a new environment, they can propagate without natural predators, devouring all sorts of little animals in their path, including other frogs and smaller bullfrogs. They also may be immune carriers of the chytrid fungus that is deadly to other frog populations. So when you introduce a non-native species to a new area, there are all sorts of deadly surprises. The worst kind of surprise. When we return, we'll talk about an adorable animal with a not-so-adorable ambition of global domination. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Remember Riki Tiki Tavi, the adorable mongoose sidekick that protected people from snakes? Mongooses are a family of carnivorous, weasel shaped mammals. Meerkats, by the way, are a species of mongoose. While mongooses look similar to a weasel, they're actually more closely related to cats and hyenas. Many mongoose species are pros at eating venomous critters like scorpions and snakes. They can tear off the poisonous stinger of a scorpion, and their thick fur protects them from stings and bites. They even have specialized neurotransmitter receptors that don't bind to snake venom, providing resistance to neurotoxins. So these are some incredible little fur noodles, but sometimes they have a dastardly side on a global scale. So Alex, I think that often we judge animals based on their looks. So I've talked about a murder hornet and a poison cane toad, and they're both a little scary looking. Yeah. And so I think it's easy for us to naturally think like, oh, look at these scary, murderous, decapitating, poisoning animals. How awful. But I want people to understand that it's not just the ugly ones that are evil in nature. <laughs> so sometimes a little animal that is super cute and very gregarious looking is actually a horrible murderer who is destroying the planet. <laughs> so the small Indian mongoose, also known as the Javan mongoose, is a cute little fella who doesn't seem like it would be a big deal if it invaded. I have a picture of that for you. I mean, look, look at his little face. Look at yeah. his cute little face. It's like almost, <laughs> I'm thinking of that CGI Stuart Little movie where Stuart Little is very cute in it. Like It kind of it kind of has that facial expression. Yeah. It's like, I'm yeah. a rodent and sentient and I just want to love you. I just want to love you. It is a brown, long mammal with nubby little ears, a pink nose, and a long furry tail. So, you know, he's a, little, he's a cute little noodle boy. <laughs> he's just cute. Cute little furry noodle. <laughs> well, I'm sure that's all I need to know about it. Anyway, go on. Uh <laughs> it's also one of the worst invasive species in the world. Uh-oh, hey. what a scamper doodles. <laughs> So it is native to the Middle East, South Asia, and Southeast Asia. And it's, you know, I love, I love mongooses. They are champions. They love to kill venomous snakes and scorpions and love, love a Riki Tiki Tavi. They're, yeah. they're awesome animals. So unfortunately, though, it has traveled extensively, including to Hawaii, the Bahamas, Cuba, Jamaica, Croatia, Puerto Rico, Honduras, Panama, Colombia, Venezuela, and more places, but I ran out of breath. So <laughs> yeah, a lot. Of, it's, it's in a lot of places now. So did mongooses just like hop on a boat to explore the rest of the world after college, you know, just of their own volition? <laughs> Why no? Right. No. Royal Caribbean had a deal. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I, I think one important thing to point out is a lot of invasive species is actually anthropogenic. So meaning like humans, we did it because we introduced them willfully. The murder hornets, I think that was, I think they were unwitting hitchhikers probably did some hitchhiking on some cargo or something and that's how it got to North America. Yeah. But the mongooses are a different story because apparently we've been trying this whole, let's, you know, the little lady who swallowed a fly, swallowed a 
frog who swallowed a cat and then a dog and then eventually a horse because a horse somehow helps i don't know and she ate a mongoose and brought it here ah that lady (laughs) well exactly little lady swallowed a snake and ate a mongoose and just basically she was dead as soon as she ate the snake but we kept trying to shove more mongooses in her (laughs) that's the situation is what i'm saying so the mongooses were introduced to these new regions by humans and alex can you guess why we would do something like that probably a really well thought out plan about some some past we were trying to deal with yeah and is it what i'm trying to think what could it be what could oh right it's sugarcane again So apparently we tried the old introduce a new species to protect our precious sugarcane from pest trick back in the late 1800s, but with mongooses. That's right, Australia. We already tried it. It was bad then. And then you tried it again with toads. Why do we keep doing this? (laughs) I guess everyone wants to eat sugarcane. Like everyone is me looking at a package of cookies. Every species. I mean... It is true. Sugar is the best tasting thing in the world. So it kind of makes sense that we are willing to introduce murder beasts to our various countries to protect our sugar cane. (laughs) So in this case, the mongoose, who is a voracious predator who eats small mammals, reptiles, insects, crabs, frogs, spiders, scorpions, snakes, birds, and eggs was introduced to help kill off pests in sugarcane plantations in Hawaii and other regions. So while it did help kill off some of the rats, mice, and insects around the sugarcane plantation, so, you know, at least fulfilled some of its purpose more than the cane toad, it's not like it dusted off its little paws and was like, job well done, time to go home, I did did what I came here to do. <laughs> they just kept killing things, you know? Because that's what they do. They're like, all right, I, I, murdered, I murdered these things around these sugarcane crops. Now I'm going to go murder other things because that's what I do. Yeah. I told you. I told you I'm a murder noodle, and you invited me here, and I, I'm murdering things now. <laughs> right. You, the police can't let Dexter get one guy. He's going to get more guys. It's the way it is. No right. one likes Dexter anymore, right, exactly. but I thought it was apt anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd like Dexter if it was a mo- like played by a mongoose, though. Oh, yeah. It's like... <laughs> Ricky Ticky Dexter. Like, hey. It's like... Ricky Tiki, yeah, exactly. And the the mongoose is like, I have a code, and then it just like devours an endangered bird, and it's like that wasn't part of my code. <laughs> so these mongooses have threatened bird species and sea turtles by eating their eggs in Hawaii. They've harmed the green iguana population in the Caribbean. They have wiped out the Saint Croix. <laughs> I always stumble over that because now I think of La Croix, the drink. <laughs> but the Saint Saint Croix ground lizard from the island of Saint Croix. So like the lizard has its own dang island, and the mongooses took it from him. It's not called Mongoose Island; it's called Saint Croix Island. But still, now it's Mongoose Island, I guess. <laughs> so it was introduced to Okinawa Island in Japan in 1910 and to Amani Oshima Island in 1979 to try to control the venomous snake populations there. Guess what they were trying to protect on those islands, Alex? Uh, sugarcane? Wow, you got it, <laughs> yes. 
Uh, what is it with us in sugar cane, yeah. guys? <laughs> you know, fool me four times about sugar cane. Shame on you. But uh, I didn't We say have that. to calm down about this sugar. Yeah. <laughs> it's not <laughs> So, yeah. So, we introduced the mongooses to these islands to try to protect people who worked around the sugar cane crops and other residents on the island from these venomous snakes. Unfortunately, the venomous snakes were nocturnal and the mongooses are diurnal, so it didn't actually work to control the snake population, and now they are threatening endangered species on Okinawa Island, and the locals have been trying to stop them with traps and fences, <laughs> which... I, wait, so one is like one is awake during the day and then the other's awake at night and they just are on like a right. shift schedule for terrorizing everyone? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So diurnal means they sleep at night and are awake during the day. So us humans were diurnal. Nocturnal means you sleep during the day and are awake at night. And so the snakes like clock in for their night shift and it's like another day of terrorizing the population. And then the mongooses clock in in the morning. They're like, hey, Jeff, I'm just coming in to terrorize the human population. Yeah. <laughs> and, the and animals. Sorry, human and animal populations. Oh, sure. And then, and then they don't like catch each other sleeping because that would be like uncool. Like there's your code, right? right? Like you don't you don't get them sleeping. Well, they, you have to get them awake. Otherwise, forget it. Right. <laughs> well, right. I mean, they they do they sleep in burrows, which protects them. So uh, they thought um, of everything. <laughs> so I want to veer into the part of the show where I talk about military propaganda on an animals show. <laughs> so. There was an article on starsandstripes.com, which is a military publication that was titled, quote, Marines Helping Okinawans Fight the Mongoose. And I, I just like imagined all these like military guys all heavily armed, like trying to shoot down mongooses. Now, it actually looks like it's just that the military is allowing Okinawans to put traps around their military base, which seems like saying like we're helping them fight the mongoose is like overstating slightly what they're doing it's not quite like heart of darkness but with mongooses <laughs> but you know what do i know i don't know anything about military tactics <laughs> right it's not the it's not the like third act of an avengers movie where everybody finally teams up and gets down to business right it's they're just letting them set up traps <laughs> <laughs> Come, man that would that movie would have ended differently if it was the avengers versus a bunch of angry mongooses <laughs> like that would be immediate defeat just like they like dun 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 and they step through a portal it's like ah oh, they're in my eyes oh god <laughs> sadly the mongooses are suspected of being responsible for the extinction of four species of Haitian shrews endangering the Cuban solandon which is a long-nosed shrew-like mammal the extinction of the dwarf hutia in Cuba which is a guinea pig-like rodent, or was a guinea pig-like rodent. They are also threatening the endangered Amani rabbit population on Amani Oshima Island. And Amani rabbits are these really cool, black, stubby-eared wild bunnies. They're, I, I think they're really neat looking, very cute as well. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I just saw it. It looks so cute. It, oh man it is very cute <laughs> it's got like it looks like you were creating a rabbit and then you ran out of material so you just kind of like made the ears real short <laughs> <laughs> yeah and left it black for like you know like yeah. like the reason the model t was black like eh, it's just basic it's good <laughs> leave it black 
It's it's a it's a sleek redesign of the rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the mongooses can also carry leptospirosis, rabies, and antibiotic resistant strains of E. coli. Neat. <laughs> so yeah. we've really been hoisted by our own mongooses here by trying to fuss around with nature and introduce them to regions where they are not from. And off of that E. coli thing, folks, this is why I do not let mongooses work at my restaurant. I've taken a lot of flack for this. I've taken a lot of uh, <laughs> negative comments about it, but that's how we're keeping it. It's people only. And certain other species, no mongooses. No more letters, please. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't want to come off as an anti-mongoose podcast, despite Alex just saying he would discriminate against mongooses, which is great. But yeah, it's not, I, I think mongooses are, even this species, the, the small Indian mongoose, they're wonderful animals and they are an important part of their habitat where they are indigenous but the problem is when humans are like ah we got a problem with snakes well let's just throw some mongooses on the snake fire that'll be fine <laughs> you gotta fight snake fire with mongoose fire and then that's that's where the problem happens and so i would say when we are looking at all of these extinctions and endangerments of other species this is not really the mongoose's fault the mongoose is just gonna mongoose you, you can't like yeah say, hey, mongoose, stop doing mongoose things. It's like, but I'm a mongoose. I'm going to keep doing mongoose stuff. So, yeah, it's like, again, it's this is this is our fault as people not understanding the consequences of introducing this animal to an area. It's also why things like the exotic pet trade isn't great, because like if you take a species of animal that is not native to a region and then you accidentally release it, the same thing with plants as well. It yeah. can cause all of these problems. So, yeah, I, again, like, I don't want this to come off as like, ah, let's hate these animals. It's like, yeah, you know, the the ecosystem is a very delicate thing. And then when we just try to, like, shove a mongoose-shaped peg in a snake-shaped hole, it's not going to necessarily <laughs> be good. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you said the name mongoose, I thought of going to our local library where my grandma worked in the VHS section and getting that animated movie about Ricky Tiki Tavi and watching it a whole bunch. Yeah. And like, that's basically all I know. The Chuck Jones animated yeah, one, yeah. I think. And like, that's pretty yeah. much all I really know about mongooses. But I think yeah. a lot of community leaders maybe know about that much too and just brought a bunch of mongooses <laughs> in anyway. Like, that's bad. Don't do that. <laughs> like, no more than I did, you know? Yeah. Going in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, mongooses are, I, I love them. When I was a kid, I loved Riki Tiki Tavi. I, I absolutely yeah. loved mongooses. I, it's just like, it's like a cute little animal that like is able to spar with scorpions and snakes. That's super awesome. And they are really awesome animals. Yeah, it's just, again, like we can't just like throw a mongoose on every problem and expect that to work out. Yeah, yeah, be be more judicious in your mongoose use. So I'm saying... Right. If, if you think that we should bring in a bunch of mongooses to fight the murder hornets, you are misguided. <laughs> <laughs> Although I would I would definitely pay-per-view to see that. Like, this Sunday, 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 murder hornets versus murder mongoose. <laughs> Just a very confusing weigh-in, trying to, trying to get them on the scale. Ah, well, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but, but don't. But don't do that, guys. Learn, learn from the mistakes that we repeatedly made without learning from. 
<laughs> yeah, any any of us at any time can be the time uh, humanity finally wises up. You know, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Maybe we'll 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 just stop. We'll stop trying the like. You know, I, it is it is funny that we like have not learned from the wisdom of the little lady who swallowed a fly because like remember she dies in the end because she eats a horse and that's bad and that's basically our planet it's a metaphor for our planet yeah she ate a horse so you don't have to exactly exactly learn from learn from the old old ladies are eating horses so we can learn how to take care of our environment yeah is that the lesson did you learn that lesson today alex (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I learned that precise lesson, yes. <laughs> Great, good. So I've done my job as a science educator. All right, well, uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Alex. Did you learn? Did you laugh? Did you, you know, mur- hopefully not murder. Hopefully. <laughs> I was about to say yes to everything and uh, no murder, but yes. Right. No, this is amazing. Now I okay, now I know good. what's going on, especially with, with these murder hornets that are like an emergence thing yeah. going on. Because there's, there's like right. pest invaders kind of all the time in a lot of ecosystems. Like when I was growing up around Chicago, there were uh, Asian carp in the like Great Lakes and in the water system. And we would just hear the name and be told to be yeah. worried. But you have to like actually uh, find out stuff to know what's going on. And now I, now I know exactly how to feel right. about the murder hornets. Exactly. I mean, like, you know, to feel a little wary, but also to realize that they're not, it's not, they're not bad because they're scary looking and uh, an insect that we typically aren't fond of. They're, they're bad for native populations in the, in North America because of the way that it messes up with the indigenous ecosystem in the same way that the adorable, lovable little noodly mongoose is bad like it's cute it's lovable but it's still killing off a lot of species of animals which is really bad yeah Yeah. so you know don't judge don't judge an invasive species by its cover judge an invasive species by how many creatures it murders (laughs) that's lesson number two Well, Alex, do you want to plug anything? I, I know you want to, so you got to do it. <laughs> uh, caught me again. Uh, this has been wonderful. <laughs> and uh, if folks want to hear the Cracks podcast, Katie Golden is on a recent episode and is amazing. Uh, and, I, and then I'm also, I'm proud of that and, and also very, very proud of this new miniseries. It's called One Way to Make an Emoji, which also features uh, Katie Golden and episode three out of four. Just four episodes. It's, you can get them all at once and do the whole story. And, and I think it's great. Uh, but it's been yeah, great. We talked about bison. Yeah, we talked about bison, and I learned you were a zoo tour guide, and I, my mind was blown. Yeah, I, I am finding more and more that I need to tell people that early on, uh, but especially someone like you should have known immediately. Like, I, sh- I should have sent you a letter you or something. Yeah, when we met, you should have sh- you know shook my hand and said, "Alex, former zoo tour guide." <laughs> you know, that should should just be you should hand out a little card, yes. basically. Yeah. <laughs> And where can people find you online? I'm at Alex Schmitty on Twitter, and then alexschmitty.com is my website. Wonderful. And you can find us online at Creature Feature Pod on Instagram, at Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That's something very different. You can find me on Twitter at Katie Golden. If you want to see my Katie thoughts, not necessarily related to the show, just random Katie thoughts. Uh, and as always, I am also at Pro Bird Rights, where I am taking 
none of the lessons that I we should have learned from this podcast in saying that birds should take over the world just because that is a simple fact. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys want to leave a rating or a review or download, subscribe, those things actually really help. I know you're like, ah, what could pressing buttons from thousands of miles away do for Katie? Not true. In fact, I, I can sense it. I have the sense. Like, you press five stars, and like I'm like, oh my god, someone just pressed five stars on my podcast. That's amazing. And it teaches the podcast robots that the show is good. So teach those robots that our show is good by pressing those buttons. That really does help out a lot. Thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio website, the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.